Welcome to the Hive Podcast. My name is Vincent Bujor, and you're listening to your number one resource for missional entrepreneurship. I'm so excited that you're here. We help you grow your startup and ministry every single week with practical advice, powerful tools, and inspirational stories. So join us and become a world changer one episode at a time. through this material and I'm talking to the factory the guy who owns the factory his name was Andrew and he sent me an email when I landed in Istanbul that was just like scathing basically like look if you want to make something at this factory you got to get your stuff together you got to have way more details so what is Sway trying to accomplish here if you want to make a good product you got to do this better blah 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 blah. he's just going down the list all these things like and I started crying I was under so much stress from like being in Berlin and stuff I'd won this thing there was um I had won that competition there was other stuff going on in my life where I was super stressed about I was traveling little sleep and then this guy like basically just told me that my product basically was going to suck and that um, my process for doing this was all backwards. What do you do when you want to fulfill your dream? You work so hard for it and then you suddenly hit a wall. Someone comes along and tells you that your product is horrible. It's worth nothing. Oh, today we want to talk about that. We want to talk about failure. And I'm sure we all have something to say about that topic. But here, for now, I invited Seth. Seth Hill, friend of mine, serial entrepreneur, triathlete, and he has founded multiple companies and has experienced a lot of things. I asked him at, right at the beginning, what was your biggest failure starting your first company? Wow, so that's such a great question. Um, so to give a little bit of context for Sway first, when I was in college, I had this idea to create a insulated hammock. It would essentially be a camping hammock that you could pack down real small. But the only thing different between that one and like the popular hammocks of the day is that it would have essentially a sleeping bag sewn on and around it so that whenever you went to sleep outside, you could like bundle up, right? So when I started this company, um, I was at at college and I told a lot of my friends about the idea. They got super pumped about it. So I decided, okay, well, let's try to make this thing a go. So I did a Kickstarter and the Kickstarter came and went. I raised money um, and I had one factory actually in the U.S. that I was going to use. And this factory in the U.S. um, was named, I don't want to shed too much negative light on them because they've changed hands a couple of times as far as who owned the factory, but it was Precision Aerodynamics and they made parachutes actually for... Uh, the Saudi Arabian military, and also for the U.S. military. So I thought in the very beginning, oh, yeah, these guys are going to be like to the T. They're making stuff for the military. They're going to understand how to get stuff done. However, what I didn't know was that um, those contracts, while they were um, good contracts with the militaries, they were kind of in the past. So what had happened was, is these contracts started to dwindle and like the amount of product that they were being needed to deliver 
went little or it, it decreased over time. So the number of people actually working at this factory decreased as well. And by the time I showed up, there was probably five or six people in this huge factory actually working full time on sewing things together. So when I showed up for the very first time, um, I brought some samples that we had already had made. I brought materials so that we could actually have product made there. And then the idea was if they could make the samples and get to what we call the golden sample, which would be a product that directly mirrors what we wanted made. If they could get to that point, then we would have them make a full batch and go through that first purchase order. And then they would deliver the inventory so we could sell them. Um, when I showed up, I immediately had a bad gut feeling. Like when I walked into the the foyer of the place, it was like not super kept nice. There was dust collected on stuff. I went back to the factory floor and there were some really nice machines, but there was also just a lot of what you call work in progress, which is projects that had been started but not fully completed. So they'd be sitting in big bins and the organization wasn't super great except for some areas. But anyway, I let all that go by and I didn't pay too much attention to it because I knew I needed somebody to make these things because the Kickstarter at this point had already started. Long story short, Kickstarter ended and I went up there to get the first order batch made and I was going to see the golden sample and they were supposed to have delivered months before, meaning that they were supposed to make that sample. I gave them the drawings, I gave them materials, like I said, so I was supposed to just show up, look at the sample, give it the thumbs up and then they would make the products and I would order all of the materials and bring it in and you know so on and so forth. Well, I showed up after about four months of this back and forth conversation and when I showed up, um, they had destroyed by accident on purpose, I don't know, a lot of our materials. They put them, uh, the nylons on the, this big laser cutting machine and they cut the wrong patterns. They put random holes in some of the fabrics. It was just a big hiccup. Um, and so what ended up happening was I had some people in China who had found our website online in Kickstarter and they said, Hey, like, we'd like to make your stuff for you. We could make it higher quality for a cheaper price than you are in the U S like, give us a shot. And then eventually at the first I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so, um, after we lost this factory in America, like I lost all confidence. I said, okay, well, this is the opportunity I get. So I basically planned out a little trip to go visit a few factories in China who people of people who wanted to show me what they could do. I went there. Um, long story short, ended up getting some products made. Had two separate factories, one for the lower-end product, the Primus, and the higher-end product, the Ira. And I kind of went through that process. Um, and I thought, like, okay, like this is going to be a success. And it, and it was a success in that we delivered the products from the Kickstarter. However, they were late. Um, but then that kind of led me into the next kind of bigger failure. And that was this. So... I mentioned we had two factories. One was the Primus. It was a lower end product, so it was a lot easier to make. It used a synthetic insulation, which is basically just like a piece of batting or it's like stuff you can just imagine the stuff that you put in houses when you're making houses or whatever. It's like that kind of spongy-ish material. So using that kind of stuff is pretty easy. You cut it into a pattern, you sew it together, you know, you put the pieces together, not super complicated. The higher end product, the IRA, required uh, the use of down feathers. So for those who don't know what down feathers looks like, it's like the, the fluffy, floaty, f uh, feather-looking things that come out of a duck or goose. And to be able to control that material and to inject it in between two pieces of nylon fabric or polyester or whatever is pretty complicated to do. 
um, for a number of reasons. One, it gets everywhere. It's really light. You have to have air involved to kind of blow the feathers into the channels of when you're sewing this stuff together. It's just a very complex process. Um, and the biggest failure actually came when I was actually leaving Hive Camp uh, in 2018. I was flying back out of Berlin and I landed in, I think it was Istanbul and I had a several hour layover and I was going to get some emails sent. And um, during that time, I was using this thing called a bill of materials with one of our new factories that was making the IRS, the one with the down. And this bill of materials is supposed to list every possible piece of product or material that we're going to use inside this product, the IRA. Everything from zippers to um, the insulation to nylon fabric to the rope to the uh, titanium stakes. For this one product, I think the bill of materials ended up having like 91 items or something like that, which is just crazy. I wouldn't have thought it would have ever been that much. So anyway, I'm, I'm working through this material and I'm talking to the factory, the guy who owns the factory. His name was Andrew. Um, and um, that was his actually American given name. He had a Chinese name, but we called him Andrew. And he sent me an email when I landed in Istanbul that was just like scathing, basically like, look, if you want to make something at this factory, you got to get your stuff together. You got to have way more details. So what is Sway trying to accomplish here? If you want to make a good product, you got to do this better. Blah, 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 blah. He was just going down the list, all these things. Like, and I started crying. I was under so much stress from like being in Berlin and stuff. I'd won this thing. There was, um, I'd won that competition. There was other stuff going on in my life where I was super stressed about. I was traveling, little sleep. And then this guy like basically just told me that my product basically was going to suck and that um, my process for doing this was all backwards. But he was totally right. Um, and I think that's why I cried because I just realized like, man, I have, I've, I've fallen so short of the details required to make something like this happen. Um, but that failure in that moment actually led to one of the greatest successes is because I learned a valuable lesson that whenever you're trying to make something and you're working with people, if you don't know how to do it, be very open about that. So I called up Andrew. I think I got on WeChat or I sent him an email first. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I ended up connecting with him and just saying like, look, Sway isn't these, this multi-million dollar company. We are very small. It's me and a couple of contractors that I work with, but it's mostly just me. And Andrew's tone changed completely and he kind of took me under his wing to show me how to do these things that I needed to learn how to do, how to write effectively a bill of materials, how to issue a purchase order with a factory in the correct way, how to do financing the right way, where to buy materials from, how much to buy, um, there's in making anything in textiles if it's going to be used to hold down it has to have a certain thread count um, and have a certain coating so that the feathers don't seep through the materials like there's just so many things that he decided to take me under his wing and teach me that I was super super grateful for and I think that he would have maybe done that earlier had I been more open with him about the whole situation but I was always trying to keep this face that like Sway's a big company Sway's a big company and I think that hurt me um, in that moment. But then ultimately through blessing in disguise, like he was able to help me out. So I think that's probably the biggest failure, um, at least that I felt emotionally in those times. Wow. 
I think every entrepreneur has felt that because、um, we like to believe that our product, our service is really great, and that we have that perfect solution to whatever problem we want to solve, right? And then sometimes we hit a wall, and someone tells us, "Hey, this is not working," or "This product isn't really that good yet,"、uh, which actually helps us, you know, to develop it more.、Uh, thanks for sharing.、Um, now, if you think about those two、uh, incidents. Um, what have you changed after these two things happened? Like, what practically changed in your life as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I think a lot of things changed.、Um, first, the interactions that I had with people. I, I realized that the importance of being open with where I was in the process of being an entrepreneur was a lot more valuable than trying to portray this this picture of having arrived. Um, I think most people are much more willing to help out if they realize that you need help. So being able to offer that ad in the story, even the way that you tell your story about your business. So in the sway in the very beginning, I told it very much from a point of like success and victory, rather than like a, a point of like this is what I'm trying to do and this is where I'm trying to go.、Um, and almost sound like like that I needed a little bit of help. You want to have this balance of confidence. Like you want to be confident enough that people are going to believe. That you can go and do this thing, but not so much that it's a, in a position of arrogance to where it's almost like pushes people away.、Um, so I learned from. I mean, let's just go over those two examples really quick that I had talked about. First, with the factory in the U.S., I didn't trust my gut,、um, and I didn't use my gut to ask really good questions of the factory to realize that they probably weren't going to be able to deliver what I needed them to deliver. Um, and had I went with my gut and asked questions specifically, like, "Hey, like, here, these are my concerns. Are you going to be able to deliver on this?" Then I probably would have gotten somewhere a lot quicker. And also,、um, with the second example I gave with working with Andrew、um, in this factory in China, had I been more open with him about not knowing as much as I kind of led on to know in the beginning, he probably would have been a lot more open to helping me sooner, and it could have. Come to a greater point of success、um, in the future. So,、um, yeah, I think so. I think that's about it. That's powerful and it's very relevant and practical.、Um, thank you for sharing. We're going to take a short break here and be right back with another company that Seth had founded、uh, just after Sway.、Uh, you want to hear more about that? So stay with us. Hive is your number one platform for missional entrepreneurship. Start, grow, and scale your faith-based business with us day by day. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just look for Hive Int. That's Hive International. Hive Int. Let's change this world and the world to come together. Hi guys, welcome back to the Hive Podcast. You're listening to Vince. I'm here with Seth, and、uh, we have been talking about failure. Now, Seth, what what happened after you、uh, you experienced those two things that you just shared?、Uh, what happened to Sway, and、um, how did you start kinetic sourcing? Yeah, so that's a bit of a crazy story.、Um, so Sway, in all of its entirety, was never like a very huge monetary success, although it brought a lot of success in in the experiences that I gained.、Um, I started it, like I said, in college, so that would have been twenty fifteen ish, and then it ended up reaching its final days, at least legally,、um, in two thousand and nineteen. So as soon as the pandemic hit, so in October, I think it was of twenty nineteen. I was actually over in 
China uh, had just found a new factory that we were going to be working with. And then I came back home and then the Wuhan outbreak happened like a month or two after that. And then like the pandemic ended up coming to the U.S. Long story short, it ended up um, barring me the opportunity to go back to China. So that was very difficult. Um, and not only that, but one of our factories ended up going bankrupt. So the ones that we were getting ready to con- that we were contracting with and we were about to issue a new purchase order for inventory, they said, hey, you know, we're no longer going to be able to make these. This is why. So all of that kind of happened at the same time as the pandemic started. Um, and so I decided, okay, well, Sway will sell through the rest of its inventory. So I sold the rest of the shirts and the rest of the socks and, and the rest of the, um, the hammocks and just kind of took the money and paid off what debts we had, really didn't make a dime. Um, but right as that was happening, I had one of my friends in China who reached out to me and said, hey, Seth, like, we are needing some gloves and PPE here in China. Do you know anyone who could send us some because we're having this big pandemic issue? That was before like the pandemic was even really talked about much in the U.S. I reached out to one of my friends who I knew actually just by happenstance. His dad sourced a lot of um, medical equipment from Malaysia and sold it in the U.S. So I reached out to him and said, hey, can I get some of your gloves? I'm going to ship them over to my buddy in in China, uh, they need it because they're having this pandemic issue. So I got some, taped them up, um, like 12 boxes of gloves, like taped them up crazy and wrapped them up and then shipped them over via USPS. And they paid for the shipping too. It was like it's super expensive. I actually sent it via UPS, not USPS. Um, so I sent it over. And then when the pandemic actually hit here, um, my friends who I had sent PPE equipment to, they said, hey, we have factories that are now up and running um, here in the U.S. make or here in China making PPE. If you guys need any in the U.S., let me know. So I was like, yeah, sure. And at this point, I was actually down at the beach. Um, not a super super popular place to be during the pandemic. Actually, it was in Florida, right? Is all of that was going down? There was some people saying like, oh, don't go to the beach. Some people were going to the beach. We were down at the beach already because um, they had shut down. Uh, like the out west, the ski slopes where we were actually going to be. So last second, we decided to just go down to the beach. So anyway, I'm sitting at our beach house and I got that message from my buddy in China. So I sent out a couple messages to my friends who worked, worked in healthcare. And I was like, hey, is there like a really a big need for PPE? If you need help, let me know. And it was crazy. Like within hours, I had texts, calls, emails coming in from all kinds of different people from long-term healthcare to CEOs of hospitals, uh, chief operating officers, supply chain management directors reaching out to me saying, hey, we need PPE. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is insane. Like how, how is this happening so fast? So, so, so I, I, can I, can I ask you, yeah, what, what did you, how did you feel in that moment? Like you probably realized that this is a big opportunity, but it's also a lot of pressure, right? Like how did you feel and like, what did you do then? Well, I knew I wasn't going to be doing a whole lot with Sway. And I have my computer with me. So I decided, well, let's let's try to do something. So I knew how to build a basic website. So I hopped on Squarespace e-commerce and set up a basic website. Well, first what I actually did was I opened up a secondary page on Sway on their website because people were actually sending emails to Sway Hammocks and saying like, hey, we want PPE, like hospital directors. And I was like, guys, we make outdoor equipment. So I, for in the meantime, I made like this secondary page to sell masks um, and stuff like that. And then I sent them over to a new website and I had to separate the entities eventually. So I ended up creating this new email and business website page for kinetic sourcing, 
that would push all the traffic to there. And that eventually that's where I would do all of the e-commerce sales. Um, so it was like overnight. I was at the beach. I had to make a website. I made an email, um, all this other stuff. I made a logo, just kind of spun it up pretty quick um, and started selling stuff. Like within a week, we had brought in probably over $40,000 just like that. Um, so yeah. At this point, man, have you actually already had the factory in place and like the different, you know, connections in place for you to actually like bring the product to the people or were you just like, I'm going to figure that out later? Yeah, it was kind of, I mean, I trusted the people I was working with. So the people that I had contacts with in Asia, I had met them face to face several times. So I had this build built up trust and level of rapport. As far as having all of the details figured out, I didn't have that totally figured out. Um, what I did was basically a, a hospital would say, hey, we need 20,000 of this type of a mask. And then I would go to my guys and say, hey, this is what we need. What can you get it for? Then they would quote me a price. Then they would give me the FDA numbers and they would give me the all of the different port information of what port it would leave, where it would be imported into the U.S., what's the transit times, um, do we need to use a freight forwarder. I'd get all that detail, all those details and calculate my cost. Then I would tell the party that needed the goods, like, hey, here's how much it's going to be. I'd add my margin. Then I'd have them pay me. Then we'd pay the factory. Then the factory would send the goods and the freight forwarder and all of that stuff. So it wasn't totally figured out, but I had some experience already with international logistics to know how things needed to be moved around. So we moved it around um, and, and got it moving quick. And it was overnight that we started like this business. Um, I filed for a business license literally that next day, an LLC, Kinetic Sourcing LLC. And yeah, it just all happened super fast. We went from doing, you know, Sway in its lifetime did maybe around $70,000, $80,000 in revenue to people sending me $30,000, $40,000 checks. And, um, you know, over the course of the eight months, I think we did anywhere from uh, probably around $400,000 in total sales. So it wasn't like super insane, but it was a lot for me to handle with me and like two other friends. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. I mean, at one point it even got to the point to where one factory, excuse me, yeah, one factory had these N95s that were what you call NIOSH, National Institutes of Health and Safety, something like that. They're like specifically branded like high quality N95s. And there was a, a, a hospital system in Florida that wanted to see them before they bought them. Um, but there was an issue with shipping um, N95s because if you wanted to just ship N95s and you declared them in court at, at the uh, border of Customs and Border Patrol as an N95, they would go through like all of these other pairs of hands so that they could be tested to make sure that you weren't sending fakes. So what we ended up having to do was packaging these N95 masks in a box um, that housed camping equipment, like a tent, and then declared a tent that we were shipping a tent from the U.S. So we shipped like this tent box to a hospital. And I told the directors, I was like, hey, so to get you this stuff, like it might seem kind of sketchy, but we're going to send you these samples basically in a tent box so that it gets there quickly, like within two to three days rather than like seven to 12 days um, because they needed them really quick. So we sent them samples that way. So yeah, it was crazy. Um, and it lasted about 10 months. We were able to meet the demand because all of the big supply chains were just completely backed up with issues with shipping on the sea to on truck to in the air. It was just all backed up and we were able to meet the demand. Um, and then after prices started to come back down for things and the big players started to move back into the market, we decided, well, let's go ahead and like start selling off our inventory, not buying anymore. And we'll move through it and 
see what happens next. So we sold all the inventory and I ended up taking some of the money to pay off student loans, paid off my partners. And um, yeah, it just was like this thing that lasted for about a year, but it was a great experience. It taught me a lot. Um, and I'd say one of the biggest failures of that whole thing, which I actually forgot to talk about was um, there was one time I had a friend who ran a, a cleaning company who um, he had cleaning teams all over the U.S. for big cities. I forget which ones. It's like Los Angeles and Chattanooga, um, down in Miami some, and all of these different areas. And he needed personal protective equipment, masks and gloves and hand sanitizers. And he sent me an order for, it was it was probably worth about $150,000 or something like that. And as he sent it to me, um, I got super excited, but also I misstepped and I sent him basically an invoice. I invoiced him for everything before I had given him some of the very key details. And he called me back and he said, hey, Seth, um, I'm going to be packing up my order for these reasons. And, you know, one of them being like I sent the invoice way before even giving him all of basically the the peace of mind to know that he was going to get all of the product. And, yeah, that like totally upset me. I mean, I was crying about it. was just concerned that we weren't going to be able to operate anymore or whatever. But yeah, it was super a super hard lesson. But I learned basically to make sure you have all of your I's dotted and T's crossed beforehand so that you don't um, potentially miss out on a huge opportunity like that. So yeah, that was the lesson. Wow. That's crazy. Losing over $100,000, huh? Yep. Yep, for sure. But I like to think of it now as that it taught me a hundred thousand dollar lesson. So it's something you can't really go to school for, but you can definitely learn that lesson pretty quick when somebody says they're going to give you a lot of money and then they say, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think it's really important for us to, uh, to remember. And I think those are very, um, you know, relevant and practical takeaways. So, uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So all of these things that I learned over the years, um, have been amazing in that like I've been super fortunate to have the opportunity to fail like this. Some of these failures have worked out to where I've had monetary success even through some of these huge failures. Um, But through it all, the experiences have been way more valuable than any of the monetary success. So I just want to encourage anybody else with your starting a business or you're starting to work for a company or whatever your story is, maybe you're starting a school or maybe you're a teacher don't disregard all of the failures as something that isn't valuable because it's these failures that are going to eventually shape us into being, um, I think, the people that God calls us to be ultimately. Um, each trial we go through, you know, I think of James chapter one, it says, um, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect to complete, lacking nothing. And then it goes on to say, like, if you need wisdom, ask God for wisdom. And I think that part of that verse, you know, in asking God for wisdom, when we ask God for wisdom, we're asking him for some failures. We're asking him for experiences to learn. Um, And so through sway, through kinetic sourcing, through everything I've done, um, I've had a lot of failure. But I would say that those are definitely the trials that God afforded and gave so that Whatever I end up doing in the future, whether it's on this earth or in the next life in the heaven to come, that I'll be more prepared for it. So don't discredit the failures. They're good things. If you 
want to get in touch with Seth, you can do that through LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. Also, feel free to share your most recent failure and the story that's attached to that on social media. We'd love to hear that. Just use the hashtag MakingMEPossible. That's Making Missional Entrepreneurship Possible. My name is Vince. You've been listening to another episode of The Hive Podcast. And I'll see you next Monday.